greeting all our, our moms and ladies here today. So good to have you. Welcome, welcome. I am uh, Pastor Bert. I know we have guests here today. We're so glad to have you. And as we get started, typically we'll have it sort of people trickle in here. And we are honoring our moms today. We want to honor the Lord, of course, always. But we're honoring our moms and our ladies. We appreciate our moms, don't we? So we're not all here yet, but let's give them a hand to our mothers. We appreciate you more than you know, more than we can calculate. The longer I live, the more appreciation wells up within me at how God provided through my own mom. And I know how important ladies you are in our lives, young and old. You encourage us. Uh, you help us. You give us that encouragement we need from day to day. And you need to be encouraged more than just one day, right? And so we want to honor you today. We appreciate um, the process of getting to know people better. Why don't you come on across the front here. We can maybe face, face me if you want to. Um, these have decided to step into a greater identification uh, with the Wesleyan Church and are now entering into membership. And this is a membership not only into the local church, but it's a membership into the, the worldwide uh, Wesleyan Church. And understand, when we come to the Lord, when we come to Christ, we are members of the body of Christ, period. But this is a more specific identification. It's a mechanism to help us as a church maintain a standard of belief and order in a world of chaos, awash with a multitude of opinions and belief systems that are not honoring to God. So this membership opens up greater opportunities for the participants. It's uh, in both decision-making, both at a local level, and eligibility for participation in decision-making and leadership. Uh, both in a district sense, location-wise, and even possibly in a national sense as the Lord leads. And uh, by the way, on the 4th, uh, Sunday the 4th and, and Sunday the 11th, I am going to be part of offering the chorus, course that helps people maybe know more about us, and out of that, those can say, you know what, I'd like to take a further step to do this kind of a thing. But that's on the 4th and the 11th, and you can sign up for that if you like. Um, there are belief systems that are essential, and there are lifestyles that God has called us to in our lives as believers. In all our beliefs, we seek to have love. In essential beliefs, we have unity. And in lifestyle statements, we seek to have grace as we continue to honor the Lord. And so these here before you, they have received Christ into their heart, by faith for salvation. They have given testimony to that by entering into the waters of baptism. And uh, they are in agreement with the core beliefs of the Wesleyan Church. And so we have an agreement. I'm going to ask if any of the specific board members, I guess, will be representative. If they could come forward at this time. I'm looking down at Brother Ralph Armstrong because last time, Halfway through, he said, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be up there because he called me up, so he's coming up. So why don't we, why don't we sort of close the gap here? Come on in, Stacy and, and Alice, and we'll just sort of surround them. And uh, what we're going to do is put on the screen for you something that all of you can, can read together, all of us in the, the room. And this really is a capsulization of something that we want to have as the spirit of membership, all right? Everybody ready to read. I will fight for unity to protect the church and its mission by acting in love toward others, by refusing to gossip, by listening to the church leadership. Number two, I will lead the way. I will take initiative to lead others by praying for its growth, by inviting on church to attend, by welcoming those who visit. Number three. I will live to give. I will seek to serve more than be served by developing a servant's heart, by volunteering my time, by giving financially to the church. And number four, I will train each day. I will pursue a healthy spiritual lifestyle 
by reading the Bible and praying daily, by discovering my gifts and talents, by seeking to join a small group and or Bible study, and certainly for those who are here, if uh, the nine of you, if you agree with this Unite's agreement statement, could you say, we do? And I know they do, as we've talked about it. So I want to welcome you into membership in the, the Wesleyan Church and pray that it's just the beginning of a, a walking out of further discipling and loving Jesus along the way. Praise the Lord. Uh, Brother Rob, this may seem a little odd, because I know you're at the sound booth, but right from where you are, because Rob's on the board as well, both the sound board and the church board. <laughs> Would you pray for this group for us? Would you do that? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather again uh, this morning to worship and honor you. And we thank you for the step that these uh, folks have taken to further identify with, with our group and the church across Canada. I ask you to bless them in this time and uh, that they will um, feel the, uh, the weight of membership and the responsibility that brings and for the fellowship that it brings as well. We ask that these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're proud of you. Give him a hand. Bless you guys. Says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord. No mind has heard, no conceived, no mind, ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has for those who love him. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He said he would come again. In my Father's house are many, many mansions, many, many rooms. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you so that you can be where I am hope of heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And I pray, God, you would teach us how tender, how powerful, how personal the invitation is. It's not a it's not an invitation to, to join the Roblin Church. It's an invitation to surrender ourselves to the God who loved us enough to send his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You're knocking on our heart's door, God. You're preparing us for a place and you're preparing a place for us so that we can be with you forever. And we can't imagine it, but God, I pray that you would help us to set our sights on that place. We live in a world with lots of insecurity and lots of difficulty and valleys, but Lord Jesus, help us to, to look to eternity and to cast our dependence upon you. We need you so, so much. We give you praise on this Mother's Day. I ask that you would speak into the life of all of us, but specifically our ladies today, and be with Kim as she shares the word with us. Thank you, God, for her her godly example among us. We thank you for she and, and Brock and for Scotia. So bless her today. Any nerves that she might have, just give her peace and her spirit. And may we receive from your Holy Spirit what you're wanting to say to us through her. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. We'll get a little organized here. I've got a helper who's uh, got something conspicuous happening over here. So Ethan... 
I'm not super coordinated, so how about just right here? That seems pretty safe for us this morning. <laughs> Alrighty, for those of you who didn't see, I have a little kiddie pool here. I'm going to explain in a minute. <laughs> Good morning, Roblin Wesleyan Church. Uh, this is my fourth annual Mother's Day sermon, and it is such a joy to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I want to thank Pastor Bert for giving me the opportunity to share with you. It's always so much fun to come and see all your beautiful faces, because usually I'm in the hallway running around after uh, almost 18 month old now. So um, there's some pictures up there. It's my beautiful family and little baby girl, Scotia. So if you haven't been here for a Mother's Day sermon, I'm going to warn you, mine are not very traditional. <laughs> We are going to dive deep this morning, and we're going to get real, and we're probably going to get a little uncomfortable. I have said so many times that if your faith doesn't affect your everyday life, then what's the point? If I can't get up here, and we can't sit together and get real and authentic and truly honest with each other, and find Jesus together, then what's the point? I don't, I don't know about you, but me personally, I don't want to go to a church where I have to fake it and say that things are all right when they're really all falling apart in the background. I've been in a few situations in churches in the past where it wasn't okay to not be okay, and it wasn't safe not to be okay. But today, we're making a safe place. So many times we feel like we go to church and we can't talk about those things. And you insert whatever you're uncomfortable to talk about in church. But today, we're getting real. Are you ready? Okay, deep breath. Here we go. <laughs> so I want to explain my pool here for a second. I know it's a little blocked, but I have a little kiddie pool here. And I'm going to call this my pool of realness. So I know that sometimes, because we're not used to getting real in church, <laughs> and really, in general, it's uncomfortable. It's icky sometimes. We need uh, a physical representation of a safe place for us. So this is my realness pool this morning. That when I have things to say that, oh, that feels uncomfy, or, oh, are you allowed to say that up there? I'm going to get in, and we're going to be real together, okay? So, here we go. Deep breath. <laughs> My name is Kim McDonald, and I am about to start therapy. Oh, here we go already. <laughs> because I am struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety that has caused mom rage. And everything within me wants to call it anger. <laughs> Isn't that much nicer? But let's all be real. <laughs> it's the mom rage. And I have trauma and insecurities from my past due to experiencing spiritual abuse and emotional manipulation. I am currently working through my sin of gluttony and an addiction to screens. Oh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> if you came for a fluffy, feel-good sermon, this was not the week to get here. <laughs> so, did I just come today to get up here and tell you all my woes and to confirm really what you already know, that life is just super hard? We all get that. I bet if I pass around this mic to you guys, you'd be able to introduce yourself in a similar way. Are your struggles similar to mine? Would you say certain words that I've said? Or would you insert different things? Things that you've been struggling with. Secrets you've been keeping that you feel like you can't share with anyone. Pains and feelings and thoughts that get dark. I'm on a journey of healing and I'll be honest, it's been slow. <laughs> it's been oh so painful. But it's brought me peace. And it's given me a deeper level of my faith 
in realizing that maybe I don't actually and practically believe the things I'm saying I do. And in the flip side of that, that I've started believing lies about God himself. So this sermon comes from a really deep place for me and walking through the own darkness in my life. So I want to share two keys with you that I feel like God has been teaching me over this time of healing, and I want to be real with you. So has anyone ever been skiing? Yeah? You like skiing? Okay, yeah. Uh, I've been skiing once, and it did not go well. <laughs> um, we went up, I was in high school, and we went up the little... See, I don't even know the terms are called. The little ski lift. There we go. And we go to get off, and I fell. Like, right away. Skis hit the ground. Bam! On the floor. And I have this, like, weird thing with my hip that it doesn't always work. <laughs> and I was laying on my side like this in skis, in poles. And you kind of saw I'm not the most coordinated person. And I couldn't get up. And my best friend, who was there with me, I told this story to someone, and they were like, oh, so she got, like, she went over and she helped you? No, best friend. She stood there and laughed at me. So they had, she's lovely, don't um, They had to stop the whole ski lift and pick me up. The guy had to come out and help me up. It was super embarrassing. It was terrible. So skiing is not my forte. But it's a very beautiful image of what we're going to talk about today. So you have two skis when you go skiing. And today our two skis are Jesus and community. So picture in your brain, you're getting on your skis. Put on Jesus and you're putting on community. Now, I know what you're thinking. What? Jesus and community in church? Oh, so revolutionary. I know, I know, okay. <laughs> it seems like a Sunday school answer, doesn't it? I have a niece. Her name is Eliana. She's so lovely. And a few years ago, we were at a Bible camp together. And she was three years old, so she was quite young. And she grew up in church, and she goes to Christian school. So she knows all the answers. So there was a point in this story that I was telling, and I asked the kids, who is someone in the Bible who sinned? You can literally pick anybody. <laughs> pick a name in the Bible. It's the right answer. She throws up her hand, and so enthusiastically, she goes, Jesus! Oh, girl, that's literally the only wrong answer. <laughs> it was funny. But in her brain, we're in a Sunday school setting in church. The answer must be Jesus. It seems so simple. But it's so good. He is always the right answer because he's the only answer. So let's jump into our first point. We are talking about community, our first ski. This word we hear often, right? We grow up hearing the word community. When you're in kindergarten, you learn about your community around you, community helpers. We hear this word often. But God has built in us a need for community, a need for one another, a need to live together in families. I have a few verses. They're going to be up on the screen as we roll through them. Romans 12, 4 to 5. It says, For just as each of you has one body with many members, with members... Sorry, and these members do not all have the same function. So we in Christ, though many, form one body. And each member along sorry. Oh. <laughs> and each member belongs to one another. There we go. So our bodies, literally physical bodies, are a bunch of parts put together to make us. The body of Christ is a bunch of parts <laughs> put together to make the body of Christ. We need each other. If you have an eyeball on the floor, no one would say, oh, that's a person. So just one person, me, I don't make up the whole church. We together make up the body of Christ. 
Genesis 2, verse 18, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. God himself said that it is not good when we are alone. We need each other. Psalm 68, 6 says God sets the lonely in families. So even in the process of building our faith, we are told to be together, to be open with one another, and to share our hearts. In James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. I need you to be the best me, and you need me to be the best you. That's how we're designed. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Meet together. Be a church. Be a body. Be a family. That's the call. That's what we're told to do as believers. So, let me get in this realness pool here. You ready? I have a question for you. Have you ever been in community and gotten hurt? Someone told you you probably shouldn't do that, but it was something you had worked really hard on. You put yourself out there and had faith, and someone shut you down hard. Told you you weren't enough. You stepped out and did what you feel like God was asking you to do, and you got rejected. Yeah, me too. I've been there. Man, community is messy, and people are messy. But God knew that when he asked us to be a part of it. So what do we do? I know I need community to find healing and to build my faith, but it's messy, and I'm hurt, and honestly, it is so much effort to engage, and I'm tired, and I just don't want to. Proverbs 14.4 says this, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Yeah, this is hard. Community is hard. And God knew that when he asked us to be a part of it. Without people, life would be a lot cleaner and a lot simpler. But it's also lonely. And I don't know about you, but I want a large harvest in my life, like this verse talks about. In other translations, it says abundant crops. That the things that you have worked for, the things that you've taken time and effort and watered in your life, they can be even more amazing when you invite people into that and when the community is there for you. So there are other things that come out of oxen, if you will, picking up what they're laying down, you know. Uh, if you've been to a farm, you know it's stinky, right? <laughs> There's a lot of mess that oxen leave behind. But... Good farmers and good gardeners know that that is the money. That's what Braco is called. It's the money. <laughs> it's the good stuff. It's the stuff that you put on your garden, right? And you put it in the soil, and all those nutrients from the stuff goes back into the soil. And how beautiful and amazing are the plants that come out of that when you put fertilizer back into the soil. The same is true with us in community. The messiness of community, the bumping around each other, the working things out together, the need to have conversations you don't want to have, to ask forgiveness, to call each other to more. Those things are messy, 
But if done properly, that's what brings growth, and that's what brings life. So we have a little small group that meets on Friday nights at our house. And yesterday, this point came so clearly to me. I was struggling with this sermon <laughs> and felt clouded and had no idea where God wanted to go with all of this. And I felt lost. And I texted one of the other women in our group. And I said, hey, just need some prayer. I was hoping for a text message back. That's all I, you know, like that's my baseline. She called me. And she prayed for me right there on the phone and gave me a ton of encouraging words. I kid you not, the moment, sorry, the moment I hung up the phone, it was like all this stuff that I felt like I couldn't get through. All the cloudiness and the fog lifted. And it was like a light bulb went off. That this is where faith meets real life in community. Okay, so now we've got our one ski on, right? We've got our ski of community on. Obviously, you can tell I don't ski the way I'm doing this. <laughs> so let's jump over and let's put on our other ski. Let's put on our ski of Jesus. I know it sounds so basic, but listen, after the year I have just had, I am learning more and more of how important it is that we come back to the basics over and over and over again to shake off all of the things that weigh us down and the fears, the fears that we all carry and that the world throws at us and the chaos that is everywhere in this world and often in my brain to shake it all off and to come back to the basics, to come back to the foundation of the things that I know and the things that I believe and where my heart feels at home. Like I said, life is painful. It is so messy. But it's also beautiful. And it's so full of joy. And somehow we get to balance and feel all of these things all at once. So, let's jump in to Jesus. Let me get back in my uh, realness pool here. So, let me a little bit further explain my super intense introduction there <laughs> and give you some backstory as we move into our next point. So, for me personally, as I've said multiple times, it's been a tough year. Uh, my daughter was born in December of 2021. And in that next spring, I felt God impressing on my heart to take a break from doing kids' ministry and ministry in general. I didn't listen. Oh, don't do that. Listen, okay? When God tells you to do something, just listen. <laughs> so in the summer, I had a friend who also had a little girl, and she was relaying to me how wonderful it felt for her just to be home and just to focus on this little girl and just have time with her. And the moment I heard that, I felt super jealous and very angry because I was not experiencing that. So again, I felt God say, take a break, step back, focus at home. But nope, <laughs> we kept powering right on through. <laughs> And we were on, I was on the train of doing VBS that summer, leading kids' church, having an eight-month-old. And we were on down the line. I'm still in this thing. I just have to lean over to turn that. <laughs> I was on down the line of being the perfect mother and the superwoman. Okay, let's just pause for a sec. Let's, let me get deeper into this real pool. That, <laughs> being a supermom, is the biggest lie that has been told to mothers in our society. You are not meant to be super mom. You are not meant to do everything. You are meant to live in community. We always hear that, that saying of it takes a village to raise kids. It takes a village. We can't do it on our own. We're not meant to do it on our own. Okay, back to it. <laughs> so, 
I was headed down that path of being super mom and making it all happen. And the week before VBS happened, our entire family got hand, foot, and mouth disease. It was brutal. <laughs> and the doctor said, because it's super contagious, you can't go to camp. And my husband came home from teen camp, and we were taken out of the game. And in my utter frustration of, God, why would you allow this to happen? <laughs> it's literally the one week of the year I have to be there. I started listening. And let me tell you, that week, sorry, is a testament to the strength of this community. I wasn't there, and I had left a whole ton of stuff, of course, right to the last minute. And so many people jumped in and took it on and made it happen. And we actually had more volunteers than we had kids. If you serve in church, when on earth does that ever happen? <laughs> it was utterly amazing and a testament to this community. So I started listening. And in October of last year, I stepped back from kids' church and back from ministry because I was struggling with health issues, apart from hand, foot, and mouth, <laughs> um, and postpartum depression that was causing the intense anger. Where was Jesus? He was calling me back. Sorry. Back to his truth. Back to his hope. Back to his love back to focusing on him and not the things I was doing for him. So in January, we had the amazing opportunity to go uh, to the Wesleyan Pastors Conference. This church, this community supported uh, myself and my husband, Pastor Brock, in Scotia to go down and to be a part of that. It was incredible. Um, I was doing really good, <laughs> even though I have some social anxiety, and it was a lot to travel with Scotia. I was doing pretty good until we had the opportunity to go into a seminar room. And because of some of my social anxiety, I deemed it an inappropriate place for Scotia, and we left. Brock went in for the seminar, and I went to wallow in self-pity. And uh, through a series of total God-ordained moments, I found myself receiving prayer from two uh, pastor couples from Ohio, believe it or not. Um, and God did major healing in my life. Things that I had never said out loud to anyone, that I felt were too much, that I felt no one can handle me saying this out loud. They were praying back to me and speaking God's healing over me and even speaking God's healing over Scotia. It was amazing. And coming back from that, I felt like my old self again. Things were really good. And then after being home for a couple of months, I started feeling sad again and anxious again and angry again. He's also been bringing up a lot of things from my past since I have gone unchecked. I feel like, honestly, anything that's in there, God is pulling out <laughs> and we are dealing with. So I have had to come face to face with my gluttony issues. Ooh, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and I have had to come face to face with a lot of my insecurities and my fears and my addiction to my phone. It is real. <laughs> And it's all been a lot of pain and soul-searching and a sense of being lost. But God is calling me back to Jesus. Calling me back to my first love. Calling me back to the simplicity of faith. Jesus is the answer. And he always has been. 
So I mentioned our Bible study earlier. Um, We've actually been reading along with the church Bible plan that Pastor Brock puts out. And he planned for us to read the first couple of um, books of the Bible for the first little bit of the year. And it's been so interesting uh, diving in and really looking at the connections of the Israelites and everything they went through and how it all points to Jesus. This is a side note, but Brock plays this game with the youth group kids called, called Gospel of the Games. And it came from one of his master's classes where you take something that seems secular, a song, a movie, a game they play at camp, and you have to find Jesus and the gospel within it. It's amazing. You should play. <laughs> it's super cool. Within that idea, Jesus is written on every fiber of history. His love, his redemption, his salvation, it's all there. From the very beginning, God had a plan. When we look at Genesis, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? They disobeyed God. Even if you don't spend a lot of time in church, most of us know the story, right? God told them, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one rule. You had one job. And guess what they did? (laughs) They ate it. (laughs) I feel like that's a whole sermon in and of itself. What was the one thing I wasn't supposed to do? The thing I did. (laughs) Adam and Eve disobeyed God. But God had a plan. Never a second thought if he should save us. Jesus was foretold and promised in Eve's children. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Her offspring that's being referred to there is Jesus. Satan tries to destroy Jesus by killing him on the cross. But Jesus crushes Satan by overcoming death and sin and raising back to life. That seemed like the beginning, right? Well, now that we have the whole Bible and the whole story, we know that it's actually in the first few words of the Bible that Jesus was there. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. I repeated that sentence to myself so many times. And the darkness will not overcome it. So that, it's a little bit confusing, right? There's a lot of words and a lot of word about the word, and there's a lot of details there. So... When you're reading the Bible, you have to take the whole picture. Read the whole thing to get the true idea. So jump down to verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know that Jesus is the word. He is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. We sing it at Christmas time, right? He's Emmanuel, God with us. So from the beginning, he was the answer at creation. So we're going to go back even further. And I know what you're thinking. What? Further than the beginning? Yes, follow me in this. Revelation 3, sorry, 13.8 references Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Before the beginning, it was Jesus. God knew. God knew we needed him. Before we ever made a mistake, before Eve ever ate that fruit, before God even created the world, Jesus was the answer. God had a plan to save us. So listen, I don't understand all the ins and outs of 
why God would create us, knowing the evil in the world and that sin would happen and all those things, I don't know. But what I do know is that God loves us and he wanted us. And he was going to save us even before time began. He wove Jesus into every fiber of history so that we would have the opportunity to see him, to be saved, and to be set free. Every story in the book of the Bible points to Jesus. Now, I want to read you something. It's going to be up on the screen, too, because it's a little long. Um, Someone wrote this. I did not write it. But it's where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. The picture of Jesus. What is this book of the Bible pointing to about him? And I want to read it to you. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the seed of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. And in Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the builder of everything broken. In Esther, he is Mordecai, our advocate. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is our faithful husband. In Joel, he is the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. I feel like that needs an amen. (laughs) In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our judge and savior. In Jonah, he is the risen prophet. In Micah, he is the ruler of the world from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he is our stronghold. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he is the branch of David, the one pierced for us. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is the servant, miracle worker. In Luke, he's the baby in the manger, the son of man. In John, he is the son of God, the living word, the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts, he is the savior of the world, ascended Lord. In Romans, he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our comfort. In Galatians, he is our liberty. In Ephesians, he is head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness and the glue that holds our world together. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is our mediator. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. In Hebrews, he is our perfection. In James, he is the power behind our faith. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd and, corner, and chief cornerstone. In First, Second, Third John, he is the truth and everlasting life. In Jude, he is the foundation of our faith, our security. And in Revelation, he is the king. Sorry. So, if Jesus is in every moment of history calling us to find him, to reach out for him, those people in the Bible are part of history. 
They're part of our history as the church. And someday, I'll be part of someone's history. My daughter, Scotia, my husband, depending on who goes first, we'll see. <laughs> my niece and nephew, maybe some of you guys. But where is Jesus in my story? Where is he in the moments of my life? It's easy to see him in the good moments, right? He's our joy on Christmas morning. He's our provision when the bills get paid and there's enough money in the bank account. And we have those cliche moments where we know where he's supposed to be, that he's supposed to be our comfort when we lose someone we love, or he's supposed to be our teacher and our wisdom when we have a difficult choice to make. But what about when things don't make sense? Where is Jesus? Where do I find him in this hot mess that is life? Here's what I know. The answer really is Jesus. And not in some kind of simple gloss over all of your problems kind of way. Give you some kind of cliche Christian meme or quippy saying to make you feel better because in all honesty, your feelings make me uncomfortable. I mean, in the deep trenches, in the darkness of the night that is overtaking you. I mean, in the sadness that feels like a pit you can't crawl out of, in the hot rage that comes so fast, you never had a chance. In the sin maybe you feel trapped in. In the real, intense sufferings of life. In the way Jesus understands our every weakness. In Hebrews 4.15 it says he understands it all. In that kind of way, Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer. Now, I'm a millennial, if you haven't noticed. I know it's usually pretty obvious when you meet one of us, right? And I heard someone say once about millennials that our most toxic trait is that we know all of our issues and our traumas and the things we need to deal with but we don't deal with them. Like, yes, we know we're anxious. I'm not telling you because I want to change. I'm telling you so you can work around it. Yeah, no. That is not the gospel. Jesus didn't die for Kim McDonald so that she could stay in her sadness and fear. Jesus didn't die for Insert your name so that you could live in the thing you're struggling with. He died for us to be with us through it, to show us the light on the other side and to guide us there. In Psalm 23, verse 4, the first part of it says, even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear. I will fear no evil. For he is with me. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. Whew, deep breath. So, let's jump back to our cross country skiing idea from before. If you didn't have both skis on when you were huffing it across that field, what would you be doing? This. I feel like as Canadians, we can feel this picture, right? Like, we get this. Her legs are probably burning. Uh, the snow is in her boot, and it's super cold. Her face is probably all hot from the wind. Like, you can... Feel this picture, right? 
you are trudging through that snow. And it's hard. And it's heavy. And your legs hurt. And it feels so far. But put those two skis on. Put on Jesus and community. And you are lifted out of that snow. And you have help to distribute the weight of life and to begin to move forward again in freedom. So, what do we do now? There's a lot of emotion, a lot of words said. There's a lot of information. What do I do with it? So, you get back in here for a second. We as modern Christians love that, don't we? Tell me what to do. Where's my guilt trip that I'm not doing enough? My failure to act must be the reason this isn't working. Let's restart that diet, force myself to put down my phone, guilt myself into you fill in the blank. Can, let, me, let me just take another step over here, though. Can we talk about this guilt thing for a second? Whoa, the mom guilt? or the dad guilt, or the guilt of anything you've done, that hits like a brick. That will take you out at the knees, and then the waist, and probably the neck too. Oh my goodness. That's not where we're meant to live, in that guilt. So we try, and we try, and we hear another sermon, and we sing another song, and every Monday, we restart whatever it is we're trying to do. That's called humanism. It's not biblical. <laughs> and the church, if we're honest with each other, is full of it. If I could just try harder. If I could just learn one more worship song. If I could just hear one more sermon. If I could just find one more life hack. That would be it. I would make it. It's not biblical. It's not the gospel. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done. It was done when he said it was finished. It was done when he gave his last breath on the cross. It was done when he rose again from the grave and saved the entire human race. It's not me. It's him. Yes, we have to take responsibility for our actions. We're adults, most of us here. <laughs> and we have to take responsibility for people God gives us. But it starts and ends with Jesus. As we were talking about the first few verses of the Bible, the very beginning, before the beginning, it talks about Jesus. And the last few verses of the Bible talk about Jesus returning and setting everything right. Oh, who's excited? <laughs> So the very last verse of the Bible is Revelation 22, 21. And it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And it is. His grace is real. His grace is real to meet you where you're at. His grace is real to give you space to be weak. His grace is real to give you space to not have everything together. There is space for you to not be okay. There is space for you to heal. So many times in life I have been on the verge of falling apart, whether in a worship service or talking with someone. It all felt like too much. And I, I would think in my brain, no, God, this is not an opportune time for me to fall apart, okay? Please choose a more appropriate moment. Please choose a time when I'm ready. This is not it. 
listen, this is your space today. Let's forget this ridiculous swimming pool, our safe zone. Let's forget it. Push it aside. This right here is the safe space. This is your space today. This could be where your healing journey begins. The ground zero. Giving it all over to God and admitting that Jesus is the answer. Are there things in your life that feel too much? Are there people who are asking for more than you can give? Are there questions and situations you just don't have answers to? Do you need someone to be there? Does it feel like you're trudging through snow? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So we're going to take some time to pray. I know this is a little spur of the moment, but if someone could come and play something or a guitar or... We're going to take some time to pray. And I'm going to ask our altar ministers, those who I've talked to, if you could come on up and just kind of spread yourselves out along here. There we go. So, like I've said, this is your space. We're putting on our skis of community and our ski of Jesus, and we are walking towards that healing. Oftentimes here at Roblin, like, we have a culture of coming to the altar. It's beautiful. A lot of churches don't have that. Today, I want to encourage you to come find community at the altar. These people up here are very safe places. They, themselves, have lived through it all. <laughs> they have big stories. And they know that Jesus is the answer. And they want to pray with you this morning. So we're going to take a minute. It's okay if we feel awkward. In our small group, so Pastor Brock is my husband. He spoke last week. Uh, he always says, I'll let the awkward silence sit. It's okay to feel awkward. Let's call it out now. <laughs> it's okay to feel awkward. And it might feel awkward getting out of your seat and coming to the front. That's okay. Awkwardness is growth. The oxen will make mess. And we will find community together. So we're going to take a couple of minutes. And we're going to pray. If you want to come to the front, please. If you want to come to the front, but you want to pray by yourself, that's also okay. It's open and available to you. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to leave a window of a couple of minutes. If you don't come up, please pray for people in your seat. Pray for yourself. If they're, mm, God, I think maybe you're saying something. Let's stay in that heart of worship and prayer and seeking him. So we'll give a couple minutes and then someone will come back in close service. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. That you never questioned if we were worth it. That the answer was always yes. I'll go for them. I'll save them. I love them. And Father, I pray that whatever things we're holding on to, Father, that we would be brave enough to let them go. That we would be brave enough to come and say, I can't anymore. 
to take advantage of this safe space and your presence is here and you're ready to work and to move in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your grace for these moments. And Father, we pray healing for those who need it, clarity for those who need it, grace and security for those who need it, physical healing, spiritual healing, healing of the chaos inside. Thank you, Lord, that you are here for us and you love us. Amen.